Hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Kumusta Kumare. This podcast is hosted by the National Organization of Asian Pacific Islander Ending Sexual Violence, Bersama-sama Philippines Team. Hello everyone, my name is Mira Yusuf and I'm with Napisev and I am the U.S.-based staff. And I'm Rochelle, I'm from the Philippine-based staff. My name is Emma, I'm from the Philippine-based staff. Kumusta Kumare will focus on issues affecting women and girls in the Philippines and connecting this to the Filipina diaspora in the United States. Kumusta Kumare is the podcast program of Napisev's Bersama Sama project in the Philippines. Napisev, or the National Asian and Pacific Islander Ending Sexual Violence, is a U.S.-based organization. Our mission is to end sexual violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander or API communities and to build healthy communities through transformative justice and social change. So we are housed under Monsoon Asians and Pacific Islanders in Solidarity, an organization formerly called Monsoon United Asian Women of Iowa. Monsoon is a culturally specific community-based organization serving the API communities in Iowa. Quick history about or her story about Napisev is Napisev was established by five API women, Imelda Bunkab, Emma Katage, Nina Yusuf, Supayatek, and me, Mira Yusuf. In 2011, as a result of the lack of resources available for advocates uh, serving the API victim survivors of sexual assault or sexual violence. Prior to the establishment of Napisev, there was no organization led by API individuals that focuses on sexual assault in the API communities. So we have been, since 2011, we have helped in establish and enhance sexual assault victim intervention services to various program models, specifically dual domestic violence and sexual assault culturally specific programs, and also multi-service organizations uh, nationally and in the U.S. territories in the Pacific. And last year, Napisev's Bersama Sama project was funded. So Bersama Sama is the is, is Indonesian, Malaysian word for together. So the goal of this project is to build a movement to end sexual violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities in the continental United States, uh, the U.S. territories in the Pacific, and the global South, specifically Southeast Asia. So we are thinking that the uh, project will basically span three locations in order for immigrant, refugees, settler communities from Asia and, and the Pacific to connect to our home countries. And by building this relationship, communities will be able to both reconnect with traditional cultural practices and share movement building strategies. It will allow for the movement of ideas, tactics, and strategies between the API communities living in the U.S. continent, the U.S. territories in the Pacific, and, and Southeast Asia or Asia. But we're really focusing in Southeast Asia and specifically Indonesia and the Philippines. And then in the Pacific, we are focusing in Guam and also Micronesia. And I think the most important thing is that we 
also would like to shift the paradigm where organizations, specifically international-based organizations, will come as an expert and will tell our communities in what to do, like globally, right? So it's not just communities of color in the United States, but also like when experts from the West will come to like our home countries, they are thinking that they are the experts in, in what to do in, in, you know, like they think that they are the experts. Um, so, but instead, Napisav will not come as an expert, but what we would like to learn from local organizations and practitioners, highlighting the indigenous knowledge and expertise instead of seeing the U.S. or Western-based practices as better. So we would like to learn like good practices that will basically inform Napisev's work in the API communities back in the United States. So it's really shifting it because usually what happens is the West, even like Asian Americans or Filipino Americans will come to our home countries or even you know, Western educated will come and then just replicate Western ways instead of using traditional and indigenous practices that are already there, that are already like being practiced in the different communities in our home country. So we would like to shift that where we go to our home countries to learn and then bring it back to the U.S. to kind of like to really inform our work. So we began the project last year in the Philippines by reconnecting with the land and the people. So Nina Yusuf, who is the other Napisev staff and who is Indonesian, is heading our work in Indonesia. And then I am heading our work, I'm Filipina, heading our work in the Philippines. So both Nina and I last year visited the Philippines twice to build our networks in the Philippines. With this, we decided to partner with Moro People's Corps or MP Corps, an organization based in North Cotabal to work with the Muslim community in the Philippines. And then Rochelle and Emma, who are co-hosts of Kumusta Komare, joined our Philippines team to help us in building our knowledge uh, about the laws, about the sexual violence in the Philippines, the services offered to victim survivors, what are the good practices in community organizing and community healing. So our plan for this year is to complete community listening sessions about sexual violence and how it is manifested in the different communities in the Philippines and to document this process and the outcomes via blogs, podcasts, videos, and photos. So this is one of the way that we will be basically sharing information in what is going on with the project. But due to the COVID-19, we added more to our work. So for this first episode, we will focus on COVID-19 and how it's been affecting women and girls in the Philippines. Since I am based in the U.S., maybe I can briefly discuss how COVID-19 is affecting the API communities in the U.S. and in Iowa, since I am based in Iowa. So there has been anti-Asian and Asian American racism and xenophobia, which is not a new phenomenon. Uh, It has been part of American history for a long time, and we have seen it manifested against different Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in many ways over the years. But as the coronavirus pandemic escalates, we have seen more harassment, discrimination, and even violence directed at our communities. Also, medical workers who are from the API and specifically the Filipino community being infected 
due to the lack of the PPE or the personal protective equipment. Immigrant and refugee communities working in meatpacking businesses in the Midwest, specifically South Dakota and Iowa. So therefore, there's a rise of the number of COVID-19 among the immigrant and refugee communities because we are usually the workers in those meatpacking businesses. In addition to that, there's a lot of concern about their jobs, right? Because uh, some of the restaurants are closing down or close due to uh, stay-at-home uh, policies. And then also like if the meatpacking business is also closing down, so therefore they really are concerned about jobs. And there's also misinformation about COVID-19 due to the language barriers. And then for victims and survivors of domestic violence, we have heard about ex-partners using COVID-19 as a reason to gain full custody of their children. And then also there's a concern for victims of child sexual abuse who might not feel safe at home due to the harm doer who's also at home. But on the good note, organizations serving victim survivors of sexual violence, domestic violence, stalking, human trafficking, dating violence are still providing services online and really have been flexible to continue the work to ensure that victim survivors are safe. So with this, kumusta kayo dyan sa Pilipinas? How are you? Uh, what is going on in the Philippines? Kumare Groeschel. I have come to the conclusion that stricter measures are necessary. For this reason, pursuant to my powers as president under the Constitution and Republic Act 11332, I am placing the entire mainland of Luzon under quarantine until April, uh, April I will not hesitate. My orders are sa police, pati military, pati mga barangay, na pagkaginulo at nagkaroon ng okasyon na lumaban at ang buhay ninyo ay nalagay na, na sa alanganin. Shoot them dead! Kamusta? Kumaring Mira? Kumaring Emma? Well, the audio clips we all just heard pretty much sums up our current situation here in the Philippines. We are a country where most are, by international standard, either poor or very, very poor. A simple Google search would show you just how we have the world's largest slum, where 4 million people live in shanties and huts. The city of Manila is so densely populated that there are over 70,000 people living there per square kilometer. Here, 6 out of 10 patients die without ever seeing a doctor just because they can't afford to. People here still suffer and die from preventable and treatable diseases like tuberculosis, measles, and diphtheria. We are a country where if one complains about the dismal performance, the corruption, or the scandalous behavior of our national leaders are forced to silence by being branded as either red or yellow, harassed, sent to jail, or even killed. We are a country that cannot and must not be in a pandemic. And yet, here we are. There is a recent analysis that the Philippines is the riskiest and most unsafe place to be in the Asian Pacific region during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic, based on infection spread risk, the government management, healthcare efficiency, and the regional specific risks. 
For us who are living here, this is not hard to believe. We have a government that has, for a month now, placed almost 60 million people in lockdown, most of whom are without any savings to speak of, who are daily income earners. If they don't go out to work, they don't eat, even just for a day. Just like how the protesting San Roque woman was saying earlier, well, some were panic buying. All they could do was to panic, but not buy because they just couldn't. There were promises of food and financial aid to supposedly help tide the poor families over during the lockdown. But in reality, if and when they receive any food aid, these were merely enough to last for a day, two days, or three at most for most families. Millions are very hungry. The government, of course, knows this, and that sooner or later, if no sufficient food aid will be given to the people, they will soon begin to disobey the stay-at-home order to look for food by whatever means in order to survive. Knowing the punitive and militaristic character of the current administration, the consequences for those who would dare defy the lockdown order is just too scary to imagine. Specific to the impact of the lockdown on Filipino women, 24% of the 20-plus million households in the country are women-headed, and they act as the sole breadwinners for the family. Even just half of this figure to represent the number of women-headed households impacted in Luzon, that would mean over 2 million doubly burdened women living under extreme pressure on how to feed their families. And while there are specific benefits for solo parents here, including financial support during this lockdown. Only 80,000 of them are registered, and it is not automatic that you will qualify to receive this aid. It is much reported that in times of crisis, like wars, disasters, and outbreaks, instances of domestic and sexual violence escalates. And while the stay-at-home order may somewhat provide one, the protection from virus infection for women living with their abusers, it is like being locked up in a small cage with a wild animal who at any moment can attack them. And with the government overwhelmed with the management of this pandemic, we can expect even less of whatever little protection and services that the state was able to provide for these women before the pandemic. This is why I'm also very hopeful that we will be able to provide the online chats or SMS counseling and referral service to these women, even here at the city level. Speaking of the city, Angeles City is, of course, as we all know, a top sex tourism destination in the world and was even reported as a supermarket of sex. As of December last year, the city government reported that there are 12,000 pink card holders in the city or they are these registered quote-unquote entertainers, a euphemism for workers in the sex trade. They work in go-go bars, massage parlors, spas, KTV houses, etc. Pink cards are proof that they are clear of sexually transmitted diseases as they are checked by the city health office weekly. Many of these women are either victims of sex or human trafficking coming from poor and remote barrios in the Visayan provinces or they just ended up working in the trade also because of poverty. On March 16, the city government ordered that all establishments in the red light district to cease its operations to comply with the Luzon lockdown order. This meant that the 12,000 pink card holders and double that number as freelance unregistered workers in the trade are without any source of income 
for their families until further notice. These women and girls who have been living through the toughest of times in extreme circumstances daily pre-pandemic are now facing greater risks by finding their customers online in order to survive. So they risk not only the COVID-19 infection, they risk apprehension for violating the quarantine order, and they risk unprotected sex and violence from their customers. Similarly, with the country as the epicenter of child cyber sex, it is not hard to imagine the unconstrained increase in the operations of cyber sex dens in the city, especially so since the lockdown creates higher demand from paying clients from all over the world for such shows, the greater desperation of families resorting to extreme measures, and the lack of police attention or operations specifically to combat cyber sex dens during this pandemic. Oh my, Emma. Do you want to add something to that? I'm sure you have more information specifically about the women workers that you're working with at the moment. Yes, of course. But I think before we go there, we should also include or do not forget that it is not only the government subsidy during the time of lockdown that is missing. What's missing as well is the mass testing for possible infected people, the coronavirus disease. That's right. As of now, there's only 55,465 Filipinos who have been tested, while individuals arrested are already 108,000. So you only tested 55,000, but you managed to arrest 108,000 people for violating the regulations on the lockdown. So without knowing or without proper tracing who's infected, who's not, then the lockdown is not working. It's, it's not effective. With regards to the workers, most of the Filipinos working here are under the no work, no pay scheme. So some workers are calling for the partial lifting of, of the lockdown so that they can go to work because if they don't report to work, of course, they, they won't have money to buy food. And at the rate this government is doing its job to flatten the curve. It, we're thinking of three, four months before the pandemic in the countries is managed. And the government promised that for the first week of the lockdown, the, it's going to be the barangay. The barangays are going to take care of their food. On the second week, it's going to be the uh, municipal government. And on the third week, it's going to be the national government who's, who will take care of their food. But based on my experience, more than a month now, we received three waves of relief goods with two kilos of rice each wave. Two kilos of rice, two sardines, and two packs of noodles. And that's not enough for a family to survive for the week. So... Most of the workers here are calling the government to partially lift the lockdown so that they can earn money and buy food. Because Laguna, Laguna is a province in southern Luzon and it is home to seven manufacturing enclaves and several industrial ecozones. Most of the manufacturing companies here are export-oriented businesses 
engaged in semiconductor manufacturing and garment factories. So they employ mostly women because women are, they have nimble hands. So these semiconductor uh, companies employ women and these women, they don't have work anymore since the lockdown. The minimum wage here in the province is 373 pesos. So that is how much in dollars? That would be... Uh, $7. Less than, yeah. Less than $8 for eight hours of work. So even before the lockdown, even before the pandemic, life for women here is very hard. So most of them are contractual workers. They are minimum wage earners. And because of the lockdown, they don't have any means to support their families. As of today, there's already 766 health workers infected and 22 of them were already dead. The most recent are from the Research Institute for Tropical Medicine. 40 health workers are already infected. So because of this, the testing capacity of the Department of Health is gravely affected because the RITM is the main testing facility of the Department of Health. So I, I watched the news a while ago. The Department of Health spokesperson said that before they are able to process 200 tests, but because of this, they can only accommodate less than 100 tests a day. The numbers that you are providing, is that in the capital region or outside CR? This is for the whole of the country, 766. Yeah, and considering that we have like 5,000 cases, uh, yeah. of, and then about 700 or 800 of them are frontliners or health workers, that is a huge number. And yeah. so there is a specific gender concern on the issue of health workers because I believe in the Philippines, about 60% of all the health workers are women. So we don't have uh, information on uh, these data, how many of them are women, but I can bet that at least a majority of them are women. According to Center for Women's Resources, 7 out of 10 health workers are women. So we have 70% in, uh, in yeah. our country. And uh, out of the 6,599 cases that we have as of April uh, the 21st, 3,001, these uh, positive COVID cases are women. So they have at least that much information about women uh, in the time of coronavirus. But we cannot see any specific like order from the government to make sure that there is a, like a gendered or gender their information on the data. So these are all just a mix of male or female statistics that we have. In relation to that, I noticed also that the disaster response that is already being conducted, we do not have any specific response that service to the women. So I don't know, I, I think aside from uh, Gabriella, it was only us during our sharing of sanitation kit who were able to provide them with 
with sanitary napkins in the in the care packs that was distributed. And uh, there was actually, I think we will be discussing this later in the next segment, but uh, there was a comment from some of the people who received the care packs from us that they're very grateful because they really have no money to buy food, much more sanitation kits. So it really touched their hearts when uh, they received it. And uh, it always made me cry <laughs> as well uh, when I heard them say that. So. So basically last March 25th, our Bersama Sama Philippines team, we decided to start a fundraising effort via Facebook. And as of today, we have raised $2,425. That's just via Facebook. But we also have another, we have another $1,000 that's outside of Facebook. And our goal is to raise $10,000. And Kumare Rochelle and Kumare Emma, so can you kind of like provide information and in how we use the money that we have raised and how many women headed households that we assisted and what is the next step? Initially, um, we chose two workers' communities and what we did is to set up a, a community kitchen for those two communities. By setting up community kitchen, we mean involving the women in the community in cooking food for the whole community. So this community kitchen served as like community preparation and assessment for the incoming distribution of relief food packs for the women-headed households. So we were able to provide food for two communities. We, the women cook pancit. What is pancit in English? Noodles. Uh, noodles yeah, noodles. Yeah. Yeah, mm. traditionally in the Philippines, uh, pancit signifies long life. That is the reason why the women chose to cook pancit so that the people who will eat pancit will have long lives amid pandemic. So we were able to feed, I think, around 500 families for two communities. Each family consists of five individuals. So we were able to feed almost 500 families. In the actual preparation of the uh, relief packs, we were able to contact a farmer's group in a nearby province. They were complaining that they're having a hard time selling their produce because of the lockdown. So what we did is we had an arrangement with them. We will buy all their uh, vegetables and we will use the vegetables in our relief pack. So it is in some way holistic because you are providing income for the farmers in the nearby farming community and then you will be able to provide food for the workers' community. The farmers were very thankful because we were able to purchase their produce much higher than the farm gate price. But considering that it's really higher than the farm gate price, we were able to purchase it very cheaply because we don't have to go through the middlemen who will add cost to the produce. So we were able to provide 400 packs, food packs for 400 families. Oh my God. Yeah. Inspiring. <laughs> yeah. So inspiring. So Emma. I know that you don't want to be reminded of the challenges that you guys went through in order to make all of that happen, but perhaps you might want to share briefly to our listeners some of the difficulties that you encountered considering that we are under lockdown. 
it was a challenge for us to bring the vegetables from Quezon province to Laguna since we have to pass through several checkpoints. One barangay has a different interpretation of lockdown guidelines and then another barangay would have another set of requirements. So it took us how many days to arrange for the vegetables to be transported to the community who will be benefiting from relief distribution. On the D-Day itself, there were six checkpoints. The vegetables were so stressed and so was I because I was monitoring the transportation of the vegetables since 2 a.m. Well, fortunately, the vegetables reached us on time. It took five hours, five hours for the vegetables to arrive. So it was very stressful. And now, I don't know if you have monitored it, but a former party list representative was arrested. I think he joined the relief distribution and the Philippine National Police in Bulacan province arrested the people who are doing the relief distribution because they said that they violated the lockdown guidelines. The militaristic approach of the government in addressing what is obviously a health concern is adding so much unnecessary problem and unnecessary stress to the people. I was watching the news a while ago. So many people in Cavite were arrested because the provincial government asked the military to help them in the uh, implementation of the lockdown. So, so many people were arrested because the military said that they were not following social distancing. They were loaded in a military truck. A woman, a lady was crying. She was so scared. And what I noticed was there's no physical distancing in the military truck where they were in. I don't know what's going to happen, but if the Philippine government will not change its course or its behavior in addressing the problem, then it's going to get worse. How was it, Rochelle, for you? How was your experience? First, I would like to say that we are very grateful because as soon as we asked Napisev to help us with the fundraising, they immediately went to work and did the Facebook fundraising. Uh, I think within a week, they were able to send us the money so we can buy the goods so that we can start with the distribution. So uh, thank you so much, Napisev, US. So uh, overall, here in Angeles City, we were able to share both the food packs and the sanitation kits to over uh, 170 women-headed uh, household. That would be on average about 700 individuals. So they are women who are the sole breadwinners in their family and who before the lockdown were working at the red light district of Angeles. Uh, in the bars, massage parlors, spas, hotels, restaurants, either as waitresses, hostess, or uh, what's known here as GROs, short for Guest Relations Officers. There were also women or girls who were working as freelance workers in the trade. We were also able to give share with them the uh, care packs. There were also some who were families of women survivors of sexual violence. 
uh, mostly from domestic or intimate partner abuse. We were able to do that in two batches. It was not as hard as it was with Emma. Did not encounter points, although there was some fear from going out because I have been a very good citizen and have been uh, staying at home. And I think for two whole weeks, I did not leave my house. But uh, because I had to go out and buy the goods and then bring them all home and then repack with my uh, two boys and my husband. And, and then for the vegetables, we had to contact uh, our friends who, who live near the market. So we just uh, asked them to arrange it for us. But he did buy from local farmers. So he was able to uh, get it for a good price as well. So for the food packs, we were able to distribute quite a lot of fresh vegetables, cans of sardines. The first batch, we gave them fresh eggs. And then the second batch, salted eggs. For the sanitation kit, did give them sanitary napkins, soap, uh, chlorine powder, toothpaste, toothbrush, all of that stuff that they would not usually get from the aid that is provided by the government. So they were very pleased with that. We are very thankful for the support of NAPICEF's friends and allies in responding to the call to support the woman-headed household here in the city. We are very touched because we know that the situation there in the U.S. is not any better, if not worse. But despite this, you guys have shared what you have with us in spirit of solidarity. So thank you. Thank you so much. We are asking folks to donate to our effort by visiting Monsoon's FB page. If money is tight, then please share it with your friends and network. As we conclude the first episode of Comusta Comare, we hope that this transnational sisterhood or siblinghood continues. Immigrant refugee communities in the United States are still deeply connected with our home countries. And most importantly, United States foreign policies are affecting our home countries and the rest of the world. Hence, it is important that we are in the know of what is happening outside of the United States. So what is next with Bersama Sama Philippines team? We are planning on providing training or workshop on sexual violence for the Philippine staff and volunteers and then also creating an online chat tech services for victims and survivors preparing for our community listening sessions after the quarantine. I cannot wait for that. And more podcast episodes. So if you need more information about Napiseb's Bursama Sama project, please visit our website, www.napiseb.org. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, mga kumare. And maybe we also have some kumpare here as well listening. Thank you so much for... Uh, spending your time with us and listening about uh, the impact of the COVID-19 to uh, us women here in the Philippines. We're looking forward to hearing from you feedbacks and more questions for our future podcasts. And see you soon. Bye. This project is supported by the Noel Foundation.